Are you short-staffed? Are you not trading to your full capacity? Are the same old ways of recruiting just not working? Are your recruitment costs escalating? Are you finding careers fairs and job boards less effective? Are you really targeting the people that you want? You can with Hospitality Rising. Hospitality Rising is a modern and relevant way to make hospitality a true career of choice. We've delivered over 55,000 real applications and over 10 million TikTok views in just 12 weeks. Join the revolution, let's stand together and rise up together to grab the talent we all deserve. And with six month packages available from just five pounds per employee, the real question is, why have you not invested in the future of hospitality? For more information and to invest, just email hello at hospitalityrising.org. That's hello at hospitalityrising.org. I'm Mark McCulloch, the founder of Hospitality Rising. Thanks for listening. Supersonic. 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 Welcome to Supersonic Hospitality Marketing with me, Mark McSee, where we meet the most interesting people in hospitality, marketing, business, and beyond to hear tips, tricks, and tales to help your brand boom. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. Hey there, my name is Paul Barron. I'm the founder of I Am Donna. We are the restaurant chain on a mission to revolutionize the kebab. In 2016, we opened our first site in Leeds with massive ambitions to go global. But first, we needed a change. Being a chef, I've always been a bit skeptical about being pushed down the technological route. But what it's done for labor and customer service has completely changed the game for us. We partnered with Vita Mojo to introduce their all-in-one restaurant platform. We now take 100% of our orders digitally through kiosks, click and collect and delivery channels. We've waved goodbye to the manual processing of delivery orders as we now have all our delivery partners integrated through Vita Mojo. We only need to do one menu push when updating menus across all platforms. Orders from all channels come into one screen in the kitchen making the operation faster and more efficient. The throughput is four times faster and we've seen a 35% increase in ATV. Our partnership with Vita Mojo has transformed I am Donna. It's a massive part of our revolution. Find out more at vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. I'm about to reveal hospitality's best kept secret. HDI are a mind-blowing hospitality data insight provider working with over 50 different businesses from pubs and bars to casual dining, QSR and coffee. Since 2017, they've led the way creating incredible insights from debit and credit card spending. If you want to know the customer profile and performance of every site on your street, which brands are performing best or where else your customers go, give HDI a shout. For mind-blowing hospitality data insights based on real credit card and debit card data, contact hello at hdinsights.com. That's hello at hdinsights.com. 
Hello, spring is in the air and I am very, very excited because what that means is I get some tunes on when I'm out and about and it's the right kind of tunes, some nice spring vibes, cheery stuff, faster stuff, a little bit of hip hop and also I've been tasked with pulling together a playlist for my friend's 50th birthday which has been so stressful because not only do I have to make it work for her, I need to make it work for the 40 people that are going. But also, it turns out, they're going to be playing the entire playlist to the pub, which is the Garden Bar in Hove, if any of you have been there. So I've got to please all the clientele as well. And on top of that, I've also got to have some self-pleasure tunes in there. And also, hopefully, I know what might work and might get people up to dance those kind of crowd-pleasing songs that really hit that 50s mark all the way through 60s, 70s, all the way up to now. So fingers crossed I've got it right. We've been doing a little bit of editing, but with every song she took out, it broke my heart. Um, Absolute bangers have been taken out, but never mind. And on that subject, today's show is all about music and the relationship with music and your mind, the psychology of what music is playing when what tempo is playing, and also what effect does that have on your business and the guest experience. And as we all know, it's not just about serving great food and great drinks now. People want a full 360 experience and music and soundscapes really is the linchpin of all of that. So my guest today is an absolute expert in this and we've known each other for, God, it must be about 15 years. We're going to be out Scottishing each other. I might say as well that Brian D'Souza, who's the CEO of Open Ear Music, who is my next guest, probably has a better accent than me. I've got a slight bit of jealousy. I've always loved his voice and he's really into all of that. So using his voice, using the soundscapes around him, going out into nature and recording. He's even got an ambient radio station, which is really interesting. And also he's working on projects with his new company called Swell, that's a sister company to Open Ear Music, where he's looking at the relationships in medical treatment and wellness, where patients are taking psychedelics and what kind of music should be surrounding them to make it a safe and valuable experience for them. So we really could have talked for hours about music and it just probably would have been a bit alienating for some. So we're trying to stick to the plan. We do deviate into favourite bands and things like that. But in the main, what we're really trying to do with this episode is get across to you the importance of music, some top tips of how you can use music and also your hardware and your sound system to make sure that you're creating that wonderful 360 environment for customers and also Brian goes into the complexities of making playlists, how you can get your staff on side and importantly now with the growth of neurodiversity, what is it that you can do to make sure that your restaurant, pub, QSR, whatever it is, hotel, you're making sure that it's an inclusive environment for absolutely everyone. So it gives me the most music munchies pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is the very Scottish Brian D'Souza, CEO of Open Ear Music and also Swell. Hello. Hello. Is that right? You're CEO of Swell too? 
Yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> that means I don't yeah. need to re-edit that. <laughs> I just took a guess. I took a guess. The thorough research on this show, Brian. <laughs> um, so first things first, did you manage to get your 150-year-old Scotland top special edition this morning from JD Sports? That passed me by. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to see it. It's beautiful. It is. Oh, no. Um, well, I tried, but uh, they'd sold out. But then apparently, typical Scottishness, it was 90 quid for the top, which is pretty punchy. Um, but there was a £27 off voucher kicking around, <laughs> was doing the rounds virally. And now JD have stopped all, it goes to an error page now, and they're like, we're not honouring this. So I don't know what's happened. So we'll find out. Was this an effort where you had to like camp out overnight if you were a diehard partner? Yes. Yes. I get a tire Scotland fan. Um, I don't know how many of them there is really, but um, but honestly, it's a glorious shirt. I mean, it's just, a, it really is a beauty. It's over nice. So check it is out. It better than the, the shirt in the 90s, the pink, was it the pink one? Yes, it is better. Well, it's just plain. It's just super plain blue. Uh, you know, very classy. You could wear it out to dinner whilst listening to one of your playlists or something. I don't know. The Scotland, uh, Scotland top from the 90s, the pink one became a very popular top for DJs, funny enough. To play, oh, really? wearing clubs, it became a fashion statement. Um, ah. I was never one for wearing football tops, just as a standard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly not what I'm DJing, but it, it became a kind of bit of a thing, I think. What's your team anyway? Oh, I can't say that. How? <laughs> Can I say that? Um, well, all, all my wife's uh, family are, are all um, season ticket at Parkhead. Is it? Okay. <laughs> We'll leave it there then. So, no, I'm come on, um, but never mind. So, and Brighton, obviously, you know, we're, we're doing well down here. Um, so, yeah, well, we were just uh, talking just when we came on, and I think it's a nice thing that we can't actually remember how we met. It's just, you know, we know each other for, I don't know, 10 plus years, um, maybe, maybe more like 15 if, I, if it was back at you. So, I don't know. You've just been ever present as the music man. <laughs> probably showing our age, that, that memory blank. But, uh, certainly, you mentioned 15 years. It's been 15 years of open air. We celebrated uh, last year. So, oh, there you go. Nicely. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. It's fantastic. So, um, do you want to, just before we jump into some things, just talk about open ear and what it actually is so that people know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, as I said, it's 15 years ago, I finished university. I'd studied psychology and I was really interested in music psychology. And we can, psychology and music is something that still fascinates me yeah. to this day. And that's one of the pillars and cornerstones of what Open Ear is. It's like trying to harness that power of music um, um, for, you know, to benefit businesses that we work with. Um, the other side of the starting point and pillars of Open Ear was my um, at, that, at that time, very fledgling, if you can call it, career in, in DJing and as a musician. Um, and, you know, really just kind of understanding, like, you know, how to play music in a restaurant or a bar as well as clubs, you know, but restaurants and bars where the music is functioning as background music. Um, and then after my psychology degree, just, you know, paying for it through university, through these bar gigs or whatever, um, going on to study uh, a master's in sound design. So really interesting about like psychoacoustics and philosophy of sound and how sound works in different architectural spaces and all this kind of stuff that the magic of sound is this invisible life force that that we often don't really think about too much but is having this big impact on us so i think those were the three kind of like starting points of open ear and then looking around and just listening actually to 
the type of stuff that was played back then in mm. in bars and 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 shops and everything, and just being really underwhelmed um, by what, what was it? What, what, what was some example? Was it the old pan pipes and Clinton cards, or what was going on? Well, it's probably still the case. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if Clinton cards are still around, yeah, <laughs> yeah probably not. They probably were bust because they couldn't sort the music out. But, uh, <laughs> the, I mean, the general landscape was very kind of mainstream, and all the retail all the retail shops, all the mainstream sort of places you would want to hang out were playing like just, the, you know, the, low, the top 40 or whatever, um, the charts. And it was very dominated by charts. It was still the time of Top of the Pops, you know, and all of our taste back then was kind of driven by that sort of Top 40 and the Radio Warrior play and whatever. Um, and and also was, top, top Shop Radio and all that stuff, wasn't there? There was actually like on, on Oxford Street, like they actually had live DJs in a radio booth. Yeah, I think that was one a, a good example of a sort of campaign that, uh, that that kind of put music at the forefront. I think there was also Diesel Radio, Diesel U Radio, I think mm. at the time as well, which was actually a really well delivered campaign, well curated and stuff. So, that, but but essentially, it was it was a fairly bland, monotone um, soundscape of of kind of mainstream pop, or as you mentioned, panpipes. You know, they can kind of very musicy kind of generate background music. There was obviously like in the kind of hotel space the likes of Café de Mar and Hotel Cost and stuff were starting to kind of paint this picture of like, well, you can do more in terms of your creation of your sound and how important that is for customer experience. Um, but, you know, like there was a lot of general kind of lagging behind of that. So at the time, it was a, a sort of quest for me to try and do something a little bit different. You know, as a DJ, I've always kind of like prided myself in 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 going through the the, the weeds of music, you know, that mm. digger kind of mentality, trying to find like these hidden gems and um, really kind of like as a DJ, like by playing those tracks at the right time to the right audience and really having a great response and really kind of opening up a few people's minds in terms of this brilliant music out there that they might not have heard before and that they can get to know and love. And, and that's a really powerful and beautiful thing for them. So it was that kind of quest to share as much music as possible um, and, and help provide a service to, to, to businesses as well as our customers in terms of how that could be delivered in the most streamlined kind of way. So I think that was that was 15 years ago and it was really just on a sort of shoestring, to be honest. Mm. You know, it was out of my my bedroom, um, no funding. We've never had funding in open ear and it's just grown really through, through our cash flow, through getting one client and then the next client and then the next client. And, you know, we're, we're here 15 years later, and having gone through that journey, which has been, you know, sometimes, especially at the start, like very painstaking, I've got to admit, you know, we're in a nice place where we really kind of understand, I think, like, you know, what customers want, uh, you know, obviously it's ever evolving as well, but that kind of connection between all sorts of different types of operators, um, all sorts of different types of personalities, because as I tell to my music team, this is as much about understanding people as it's about understanding music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, like now, you know, we're, we're in 3000 sites as, as regular subscribers. Um, we're kind of global in terms of the way that we operate, although mostly in the UK and, you know, we're covering various different market sectors as well. And we've got a great technology platform as well, which, you know, we can go into if you, if you want, but yeah, it helps yeah. Really kind of like kind of harness the power of music kind of in real time and gets the music as, as, as much as probably what they want and when they want it. And then. Just in terms of today, then, what's the size of the team now? And um, where are you all based? And what, what's going on at Open Ear right now? Yeah, so I started the, the company, as we both know, you know, we're both Scottish, started in Glasgow. Um, and then about 10 years ago, moved to London. Um, we've got 16, 17 in the team and a few freelancers on top of that. Um, 
And we have um, an office in Lancaster, which is where all my uh, developers are. Mm-hmm. They'll pull over own tech in-house. And then we've got a couple of other people dotted around the UK and then our main base is in London. That's cool. And then in terms of the type of clients that you've got right now or have worked in in the past, I mean, obviously it'd be great to name drop a few of the, the hospitality ones, but also, you know, retail hotels, you know, you're much wider than that. So what, what's kind of going on there? Yeah, I mean, we work, as I said, across many sectors. Hospitality is our bread and butter. It's where mm. we started, you know. So our first ever client um, was a little Chinese <laughs> Chinese restaurant on Byers Road um, called Chow. I don't know if you remember All it. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. But it was, it was um, still remains one of our hardest clients to try and convince them that they should be paying anything <laughs> for the music. It's was a friend of mine I went to school with that his family owned it. So it was, a, it was a way in and it was a learning experience just in that. And then quickly after that, we went and um, created at the Lighthouse, which is a design centre uh, in, in, in Scotland, in Glasgow. Yeah. And for them, I think this is a good indication of our creative process. It was about trying to champion, as, as they were with, with the design aspects, Scottish talent. This was about champion Scottish music talent. Mm. So we did a, a deal with uh, Chemical Underground Records and various other kind of independent yeah. record labels in Scotland. And it was about trying to push their music, to, you know, to the audiences across the public spaces and in the cafe or whatever. But yeah, you know, f- following on from that, as I said, you know, we're a good few thousand customers in and, you know, we've got the likes of, well, sticking on the Scottish scene, Buzzworks. I know you know them. Yes, I work for them. I work yeah. for them every week. Yeah. Well, there you go. So they're a great client, great, great business. Amazing. Love them. Um, Got a lot of time for Kenny and the team there and, and mm. really kind of care about that as, a, you know, as part of the customer experience of a really good kind of kind of ongoing relationship with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, looking a bit further afield, you know, Selfridge is a big client for us. Um, we've got like uh, Oaxaca Roses, who I know you work with as well. I've mm-hmm. done in the past. Um, the Oakman Inns Group is one of our early clients and mm-hmm. stayed with us to this day. We just won the likes of Portobello Starboard, another pub group. Um, oh, Portobello are just opening a new venue right outside my front door. The Seahorse. Seahorse. It's yes. right there, right out the front window there. Yeah, there yeah, yeah. So there you so, go. So I'll, I'll come in and go, what's that song? Is that, not, is that not your worst? Is that not your worst nightmare? Someone going, what's that song doing on that playlist? You know? <laughs> Um, I I've don't like Lulu or whatever it is. <laughs> I've, I've developed a very thick skin when it comes. To- <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about your process. Um, what is the process, right? You go in because, listen, you've got a dream job. I mean, it's pretty cool. You get to make. I mean, it's not as simple as this, but basically, you get to make playlists for a living, right? And I don't need to be asked twice to make a playlist for any reason. In fact, it's my friend's 50th on Friday night. And uh, she says, I could do my playlist. I ended up doing 10 and a half hours. And then we edited through it and it broke my heart, everyone that she took out. I was like, oh, this is because of this. Um, so again, you know, how do you even approach it? Um, and how do you have a straight face when you're charging people money for it? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I have a straight face because of that thick skin um, right. <laughs> scenario that I know may or may not um, uh, happen in due course. I've <laughs> delivered the playlist because look, I mean, yeah, you're right. Music is this complicated thing. We've all got a relationship with it. You've obviously got a relationship with it. A lot of people that we work with are somewhere on that spectrum of like yourself, big music fan, really care about it, um, but maybe don't have the time, you know, to mm. spend on it. And that's why they speak to us. Others that are very open, like first thing they say is like, look, I don't know anything about music. 
you know, you're the experts, leave you to it. And the next thing you know, they're coming in going, hang on a minute. Like, yeah. another thing's not right. Why didn't you add this artist <laughs> who I'm a big fan of? And I'm like, I thought you just told us that you're not the expert. <laughs> My 14-year-old daughter said, oh, brilliant, did she? <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's, it's all, don't care. All, all too often that it's just passed through. The filter is, you know, someone who they trust, their daughter, their friend or whatever. Yeah. Is it entirely in their kind of mold or whatever? So it's, it's, it is, when you start to think about it yes dream job absolutely and i'm not knocking it it's, it's, it's brilliant um and uh, you know everyone that applies especially when we're hiring in the music team are like most people are like wow i never knew this kind of job existed yeah <laughs> this, is, this is my true calling in life right? yeah, yeah and it's a very popular thing for people to be involved with but um yeah i mean look what we try to do is obviously add a level of professionalism because as i was painting the picture of um, what the landscape was like 15 years ago, that has massively changed now. And, you know, there's a few different kind of key points, in, you know, in the calendar. One was, you know, the birth of Spotify and YouTube and all these other kind of ways in which yeah. you could basically have access to all music, you know, within the click of a, a switch. And that has done a number of different things in terms of how people listen to music. It's less based on the top 40, as we were talking about before. It's much more based on them and their own individual kind of identities around how they can kind of like, you know, use them Discover Weekly or other kind of tools, algorithms to find music that really kind of like suits them. And it's, you know, as we know, and it's a sad thing, I think for both of us, you know, not listening less to albums, much more on, mm. on tracks, this kind of skip culture, um, having these hungry ears where you know, people just want more and more and more and more and more. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, like we have, as a company, we have to react to that. We have to understand how people's tastes are essentially like evolving. And that, you know, it also means that people aren't just so hell-bent on maybe contemporary music. You know, it used to be you're kind of, you could you could position someone in a, in a tribe, uh, you know, this genre, or this kind of era of music, but that's, that's gone out the window. You know, it's about, some people might want to dip into the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the yeah. current day, whatever. And that's their kind of musical identity. And, um, you know, when I say about a level of profession, the difference between someone like yourself, you know, 10 hours is a lot of music. Um, but we, as, a, as a, you know, often people would struggle to get to that n number of, of, of hours. But with us, I mean, we've got to do a hell of a lot more than that. Yeah, so for, of course. For, you know, the, the key balance is to say, well, your business, you can be open 24 hours a day. You're certainly probably going to be open 12 hours a day in this day and age. And so therefore you need, a, you need a lot of music to get through. Um, and then you need a constant throughput of new music that's going to keep things fresh. Otherwise you're just going to be like groundhog day coming into the business and demotivating for staff and regular customers or whatever are going to pick up on that too. So we as that's, that's, you know, one of the main differences is just trying to get the volume, but also keeping the quality control really high. I mean, that's mm. such a key thing. And that's what I say to the music team all the, t all the time is like, do not put in filler tracks, you know, everything has to be killer, Yeah. you know, and to, to, to be able to support that. I mean, obviously there's a lot more great new music and, uh, you know, that's been created or old music that's been unearthed, remastered and whatever. And so therefore you've got a much wider pool of music to choose from than probably what you had to do. But there's also a much more demanding listener or client base where you have to like, you know, adhere to people that basically have this massive, maybe iTunes or Spotify list where they've like, well, I've got 4,000 tracks, you know, like mm. 10,000 tracks. Like, well, and then you, you're in the realm of like, well, if you had 10,000 tracks, you're not going to be able to listen to those tracks. Mm. So there's not really much of a point, you know, unless you were listening all day long for like the next three years, like what's yeah. the point in having that? So then this whole kind of notion of curation kind of comes in and, you know, being the kind of 
arbiter of, of good taste or or their musical or the custodian of their musical identity is 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 such a key thing. Um and and it's something that, you know, because I think a lot of businesses recognize now that their customers are much more, whether they know it or not, expert in terms of mm. ways that they listen and their expectation level when it comes to the music. Like you know, they can quickly identify where that's on the subconscious or, or, or really conscious of it. Like, you know, a, a playlist that's weak, you know, a playlist that's generic, that's just a, a lift from something else or something that's not really well considered. And that's really going to affect their, their customer experience. And a lot more operators, I think, are, are recognizing that. And that's why they want to outsource to a company like us. Yeah. And then just going back then, so in terms of that process, when you get the call and it's Frankie and Benny's, Wagamama, you know, some posh hotel group, whatever it is, and they just phone up and say, right, we need you to sort our music. Where do you start? What is the process that you can tell it? And I mean, there might be some secret sauce in there, I don't know, but what's, what's largely your approach? I mean, we have two approaches. One is our more, um, let's say, cost-effective um, way of doing things, which mm. is, um, I mean, cost-effective is kind of a loaded term, but essentially like a cheaper version where you can, get off the shelf playlists. We can mix and match those playlists to suit exactly what your brief is. You're, you're going to be able to create a schedule of music that's seven days a week. We give you access to various tools in which you can kind of review those playlists before, you know, it goes live in the venue. Um, the tools we've got are very intuitive. So you can kind of like play around with a lot of things yourself. You, if you want, and the client can, you know, could get involved with the actual track selection and, and editing and that kind of process as well. So it depends on how much like involvement they want to have. If they want to just like be in, because this is a scenario that we find more and more often is like mm. they, they often do want to have a say so in the music. They do think that they know um, uh, about music and maybe they do, you know, and we don't want to take that away from them. It, we don't want to create this situation where it's like us and our taste versus the client and their taste. Yeah, That's never going to end well, in my opinion. You know? like, mm. And that's probably where the industry has been at traditionally. It's like outsource it. That's it. Just take it background music that's you know take it or, or get out essentially so that's 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 like one approach and the other approach is a much more consultative approach as you can imagine you know it's going to ideally meet face to face or you know in the venue get as much information soaking up the ambience the atmosphere that you know getting to know the people the people are massively massively important and often as you know businesses are driven by people and 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 you know, a lot of businesses are driven by say one person you know and often when we're, we're creating musical identities that that brand that that person has created is an embodiment of themselves and you know often it's just about understanding they, them their needs their taste because they're going to be one calling the shots you know so that could be it or it's a case of like okay they work with an agency to design the brand uh, you know and that's making a statement it's 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 creating a narrative and we're really just telling that story that narrative through the collection of songs and the curation of music throughout the week that we would put together. So every song is a kind of different aspect of the story mm -hmm. um, that over the course of listening to that over a period of time, that makes up the essence, the brand DNA, you know, like the, the it makes up the essence of what that business is trying to say to their customers. Because music, you know, at the very sort of fundamental level is about communication. And then are there some other access that you have to kind of, throw into the mix as well, you know, like obviously who the customers are, what kind of food's going on, what the day parts are and when they want it to ramp up and cool down, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is there a few other wee twiddles you have to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
as I said, it's about narrative. So if the narrative for that, that restaurant is about the food and the food offering, and that's of a certain type of cuisine, you know, from a certain place, then that's an obvious win, you know, to try and embody that, that music, culturally speaking, that, 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 that menu, culturally speaking through music. Um, and, um, obviously customers and customer demographic is really important. You know, quite often the operator is not the demographic um, mm. that they're trying to target. Yeah, so it's important. And that, that's one of the reasons why they might want to outsource this because we can really kind of understand the, 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 the sort of the psychology and the archetypes of the type of customer. What competitors are doing are also important. So doing a bit oh, of a competitive yeah. analysis to say like, you know, that's what your competitors are doing. They're across the street. You don't want to sound like them. You want to differentiate. So that's, that's part of the mix. This, this whole kind of balance between quality and quantity is important because if, you know, quantity would relate to obviously the, the amount of repetition within a playlist. Um, and that can often be affected by, you know, how loud they want to play that music. You know, if it's very soft in the background, like, you know, the brain and ears are going to pick that up less readily. But if it's really prominent, really loud, then probably going to need a lot more music. If you've got a, a and I, I see this happening more and more often in London, obviously there's a sort of membership, members club type mm. of model, then obviously what they're trying to do there is repeat business and stuff. So there's probably a, a, a bigger requirement for, for more music then because you're not having people just drop in once in a blue moon. It's like once a week, this person's going to be there. Um, yeah. So all these things are important factors for sure. And how do you stop staff getting cheesed off? Because... It happened to me all the time. You know what? You know what happened? I was in charge of the playlist and it, it was great fun though. And, and it was back then, it was pre-Spotify. So it was the best thing once a month, I think it was. I used to have to go to a, like a music studio basically and sit and be flicked through all the songs. It was like a Friday afternoon. It was the best time ever, probably with a beer in your hand. Um, but inevitably when then it got rolled out and then it was repeated and all the rest of it, the staff are going, oh, that song again, by Bell and Sebastian, geez, or whatever it was. You know, how, is there a balance there? Because obviously people go to restaurants maybe two, three times a year, maybe, depending on their habits. So the opportunities to hear for customers who, you know, the music's really geared for is one thing, but then the staff getting fed up that, you know, how Smartin's happy I was playing again. Absolutely. I mean, and look, I feel for staff in um, in certain premises because, you know, they, they work hard, you know, and mm. big ups to them for doing that. An easy target for them, you know, if they're slightly cheesed off with their daily, you know, daily grind is is the music. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's something they're all there. It's also, you know, they're all subject to something that's not necessarily designed for them. This demographic thing that I, I pointed out in terms of the ownership not being the demographic, the staff often isn't the demographics. Mm. So and then therefore this music can sound quite alien to them at some, sometimes and certainly not to their taste. So the difficult thing is, and we've gone through different, um, I, I, I guess, sort of solutions to this, which is one is, you know, we've tried to kind of get the staff involved with the, the playlisting process, which nine times out of 10 ends in disaster because you can give them the access and like the one time out of 10 that this really works is where you've got someone that really kind of understands like what we're trying to do here. This is not about their particular taste. This is about the business and what it's going to satisfy, you know, the, 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 the public that are coming to that business. Um, so the one person out of 10, you, you know, will get that. And that's a great relationship. We can work directly with them. We give them all the tools where they can get involved. It's a very constructive thing. And then, you know, you've got 
you've got a champion in the business and that's mm. fantastic. They understand why we're here. We understand why they're there. It works perfectly well. The nine times out of 10, if you want to give that to the staff, they're just going to be going um, through their own personal playlists, their own personal Spotify, and they're going to be putting on, you know, music that's basically not, not appropriate. Right. Mm. And, and no matter how much you want to educate them on like, well, it's not quite right because of this, that, and the other reason, like they're not necessarily going to get that because they like what they like. Right. And that's, that's totally fair enough. So one of the things that we've introduced in the last few years is a thing called Team Connect. Um, and essentially it's, it's, a, it's essentially a newsletter, a, a, an email kind of marketing newsletter, which is dropped usually once a month. And it explains, you know, the music that's on the playlist, the new additions to the playlist, the volume of tracks that have been added, the artists they should look out for, the tracks of the month. There's oftentimes an interview maybe with one of the staff um, about their music tastes, and, um, and, you know, there's just basically an array of different insights because the, the common thing is like the staff go, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's just listen to the same music all the time. Listen to the same song at the same time every day. And it's just not the case. It's this psychological phenomenon that, that just um, certainly in our system, mm. you know, it, it just, it, it doesn't play out, right? Because we've done loads of tests on this and the system are, that we've built will, will make sure that the track doesn't play, you know, uh, with as much repetition as that. And we make sure that the volume of tracks on the playlist will be big enough. So they're not going to get that repetition, but it's a psychological thing where it might be a track in particular, you know, in these kind of cases where they it particularly annoys them yeah. <laughs> when it comes on and there, and then the perception of is oh, this track I've heard, maybe they've heard it elsewhere as well. Like I've heard this so many times. And then when you, when you run the stats on it, maybe like it's played twice a week. You know, but that one time that it's played that they've heard it triggers that brain to thinking, ah, oh, this track, I hate it. Like that's yeah, been, that, yeah. that must have been played every day. And it, it just simply isn't the case. So anyway, so these, these, these sort of team connect kind of ways in which we communicate the music and, and also get staff involved because, you know, we're doing this with Dr. Martin's, one of our clients. And actually it's, it's it, you know, the initial thing was a new newsletter that got really good engagement. Now some of the staff are like, oh, I'm in a band. Can I submit my tracks? And we've, we've been able to facilitate that. And all of a sudden the band's music is now in the playlist if, if it, you know, reaches that level of quality control. And that's such a powerful thing because you get this kind of coalescing of the staff. They're all in the yeah. same sort of boat together. And it's like, oh, there's one of us, you know, we're on the playlist now. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. there's been, it's, it's a fantastic thing, but you have to look outside of just, you know, the, the 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 aspect of just listening um and and look more about how you can communicate what's on dr martin's playlist <laughs> uh well it, you know it's a, it's an interesting brief to that because obviously as a as a brand i mean for us when we won that like, this is fantastic it's the musical <laughs> brand it's amazing or you know the heritage yeah yeah, yeah man Fantastic. And as we've worked with them, you know, th there is that aspect of it, but it's much more about how it's evolved to be what is Dr. Martin's and how that's represented today to the 2023 audience. That also is a growing brand that's very mainstream and as a household name. So there has to be this balance. And, and the agency they work with came up with this, this, this thing called um, the uh, Dr. Martin's DM, DMA, it was called the Dr. Martin's attitude. Mm -hmm. So it was like, Every band has to have this Dr. Martin's attitude, which is a little bit counterculture, it's a little bit left field, it's a little a bit, bit alt. Yeah. A bit alt. But 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 not just, you know, in the kind of genres of like, you know, punk or ska or, or even rock or indie. You know, it's it's like it can be hip hop, it can be even pop, yeah. you know, it can be Billie Eilish, it could be in there. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's something that is just counter and it's um 
it, you know, it's this it's this prevailing kind of attitude that all these bands and and artists exude, and that makes up the kind of narrative that is Doctor Martin's. Um, what would the I was think I was thinking surely like London Calling and the, the Clash has got to be on it. Surely, that's, come that's, on, yeah, that's that's a mainstay. Yeah, it's got it's got to be there. Um, yeah, oh man, I'd love to go through that. I need to just hang out in a store and have a little. In fact, we've got one in Brighton. So yeah, I could go along and, and have a little listen. But yeah, that's pretty cool. That's really call, cool. We're gonna we're gonna build up a kind of little map for you to go around. <laughs> I would love that. I'd absolutely love it. Um yeah, that would be amazing. Um what was I going to say to you? So in terms of psychology, I mean, this is really interesting, and this is where you really stand out from the crowd. This is where you come onto your own. And that psychology angle, um, What's the sort of headlines for that then, or, or you're thinking, you know, what do you apply when you're when you're talking about that stuff? You know, what's going on? Because I know you're really well versed in it. Well, I, I tell you, the starting point for it was when I I said I did psychology at university, and I in second year psychology, I was uh, we were given free reign to come up with an experiment, whatever we wanted, just do a, a psychological experiment. So I got people in this room. And I played them different types of music and I got them to do this task, which was this maze, you know, to complete this maze and it was timed. Mm -hmm. And I played them different types of music. I played fast and repetitive music, basically techno. I played fast and non-repetitive music, which is kind of weird, like Aphex Twin style music. Mm -hmm. Ambient, yeah. Um, And then slow, uh, repetitive, which is kind of like this hip-hop-y kind of beat thing and slow and non-repetitive. And, and also silence is the control. And by far and away, and a significant kind of result we had was the, the you know, the fastest times to do the maze was when we had the fast and repetitive music. And the the slowest times was when it was silence. And I think this is, you know, if you, if you kind of unpack that, like the slowest times being silenced because people were in a kind of weird sort of small research lab room thing in, in the psychology department. So it was a bit uncomfortable for them, maybe as a novel experience. So they're feeling a bit uncomfortable and it's silent. So they, they, you know, they're not really maybe concentrated on the task at hand. Whereas with the music across the board and music, you know, they're they're much more able, readily able to focus. And then with the fast and repetitive music, I mean, what what happens is the brain and and body essentially like entrains. It's called entrainment. It entrains itself to rhythms. You know, because we're all rhythmical, right? The, the fascinating thing when you start to think about it is like we start to hear when we're in the third tri- trimester you know, in the womb. And the first thing you hear are your mother's rhythms, your mother's heartbeat, mother's speech patterns. And obviously you can't hear the vocalizations, you can't hear the words, this is pre-verbal as an infant. Um, but you you become rhythmical. So we're all, we all say like, you know, I can't dance, can't, can't do this. Dance, yeah. We're all fundamentally like rhythmical in terms of the way that we perceive sound and sound information. So we're always trying to look for patterns in sound. And um, and rhythms is something that we we tune into very very readily. So if you've got music that's faster paced, then you're going to chew in time to that music. You know, mm. and you're going to chew a bit faster, and um, you're going to speak faster. You're going to have your experiences a little bit faster. You know, so that's one layer of it. The classic study that everyone always gives is the kind of you probably heard it. The, the you know the the wine and different types of music in the, in the off license. So it's French music and then it was German music. And they oh. played off license. Have you not heard this one? No. This is from 1999. So it's it's often in this industry they're kind of like um cited. So when they played the French music, the sales of French wine tripled, I believe. Um, and when they played the German music, the sales of German wines and beers doubled. So it had this huge impact. Now, when they asked people after they checked out, bought the bought the products, like, why did you buy this bottle of French wine? 
not a single person that did this, this, this study like could identify the music as being the driver to that purchasing decision. Wow. So it's having this massive, like very subtle subconscious kind of like effect and um, driving our behaviors in these ways that no one could actually pinpoint, you know? So that's the fascinating thing about, about music is it's, it's, and, and, you know, one of the reasons why we're called open ear, our ears are always open. You know, we're always receiving the sound information, even when we're asleep, right? We're, We're always receiving information that's doing things to our brain. Most of the time, like literally 90% of the time, that's not stuff we're conscious of. And it's having these effects where it's, you know, biological kind of like processes in the brain that are being triggered, different emotions, different this, memories, et cetera. And it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing when you start to look at the kind of neuroscience of it is, is, is it's the only thing in you know, humankind has invented this, that lighting up literally all areas of the brain at once whilst you know experiencing it and that's just such a powerful phenomenal thing so anyway that's 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 the sort of backdrop to this but yeah studies like the wine study i mean studies like um louder music um they did this this experiment in mcdonald's where they played louder music and and and, and people would more readily buy the unhealthier aspects of the menu obviously at mcdonald's are trying to be oh, really? menu but louder music would would drive people to a bit more of the health, unhealthy um 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 items um why why would that be i think it's just like the, the, you know the, the the signifier of like um well just the experience of something like louder more in your face a bit more like archaic you know, sort of hedonism kind of thing is it something yeah, like that yeah perhaps and 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 also maybe your brain feels a bit of brain fog because it's like being being um being hit with these kind of like louder frequencies and and higher amplitude and things so yeah this, this stuff like that and also this kind of idea of like brand fit versus non-brand fit so this whole curated players players that's curated for the brand um you know driving you know uh, well increasing sales in essence you know like making people more comfortable with that experience and like leading to like higher sales and things so there's all sorts of stuff that it's doing and i think Mm. that you know our job is open ear and what we're we're always trying to educate our customers on is like this impact that it's having and like music is one of these things that i always thought was like last on the list for an operator to sort of think about and maybe they don't have you know place a value on it that it should have um but yeah these these, the science kind of proves otherwise i think this really sticks in my head i'm sure i read an article a few years ago and the headline was something like, either does Coldplay make you meet, eat more pasta or does or Coldplay does make you eat more pasta? I can't remember. But <laughs> would, would there be signs in that? Or it's a PR story to sell more Coldplay things? I mean, when, the, when, when studies like that mention a particular band, it's, it's always a bit headline <laughs> substance, right? Having said that, like, there's, there's been, I mean, another funny one. Um, De La Soul makes your, uh, they did this thing with cheese making, like makes your cheese taste more intense and flavorsome. De La Soul? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so they, they, um, they did this study in a cheese, cheese making factory or something. And they played different styles of music. And one of them was hip hop, which was the De La Soul track. They played classical, they played rock. And they they had this special speaker that they kind of, um, 
injected into the, the sanix to the cheese or had some sort of connection into the cheese. And obviously, like sound and music and everything sonic is 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 a wave, right? So these wave forms were like going into the cheese and and having certain kind of chemical, like changing the kind of chemical processes that is in the cheese making. Um, process, which I'm not an expert on, <laughs> don't ask me any more than that. But that was changing the kind of chemical makeup of the cheese, which is then affecting how the cheese would then taste in a blind taste test. Following that, that's really and, weird. And they did similar stuff with wine, you know, like it was like playing more bassy kind of music to wine in a wine cellar was, uh, you know, versus like classical music and like whether that would have an effect. And it's all kind of area of bioacoustics. And uh, anyway, yeah, fascinating. Hi everyone, I'm Lucy, Head of Sales at Airship & Toggle. We may have met before at one of the many hospitality events we sponsor. Well, we have now partnered with the legend himself, Mark McCulloch, to support the Supersonic Hospitality Marketing Podcast that delivers on inspiring and thought-provoking topics for our sector. In case you don't know, Airship is a hospitality-focused tech company that's supporting operators in building a better understanding of their customers' visiting habits, which in turn helps them target, personalise and automate the marketing in our CRM platform and Toggle, which is our gift card platform, and an excellent stream of revenue through prepaid gift cards, experiences, tickets, and even merchandise. Our model is a little bit different to most. Our platforms are a predictable fixed monthly rate, so no surprise invoices. And our current budget-proof campaign, you can get four months half price, which ends on the 31st of March. So you can learn more on our websites at airship.co.uk or use toggle.com, or just simply drop me a message on lucy at airship.co.uk. Have a great day. A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugar Boat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. And I mean, did the clients want that level of detail from you? I mean, they're coming along seeing how, you know, how can we gear the music so that we sell certain things or sell higher margin products or how we can make this day part tick more? And also on day parts, are there some rules, you know, that breakfast is Bill and Sebastian, lunch is something else and dinner's, you know, pump and techno? I don't know. But is there is there sort of some basics that, you know, would help people if they're thinking about planning their music? I think, like, the, the time of day is a, a, a really important variable because people are going to feel and expect different things at different times of day. I mean, it's just natural. I think the the challenge with breakfast, especially in hotels or whatever, is just like, do you want to make a relaxing experience or do you want to make, you know, a pumping up kind of like vibrant experience to kind of kickstart people's day? And obviously there's, there's just a d- division of where, where you fit, where you fall on that, uh, on either side of that fence. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, you, that's one of the key parts of the conversation that we'd have with a client is like, let's look at your week and how your week uh, evolves um, in, in in a manner that can then be represented through the music that you've got on. And certainly like there's usually a kind of like breakfast, daytime, evening kind of split. And then there's probably something about the weekends and 
Thursday, man, Thursday or Friday, Saturday, where you're kind of, you know, you want to try and capture like an audience, you know, especially a bar and restaurant where that's going to be your busy and peak times. And it could be a difference between, um, you know, during the week, you actually want to keep the customers there as long as possible. So the music may be a bit slower. Mm. Um, you know, you want people to kind of like feel comfortable. It's maybe a bit classier, if you like. And therefore, they're going to stay a bit, you know, longer, stay for an extra dessert, buy the extra coffee or whatever, feel comfortable in terms of if you're using it as a place for your working and whatever. But then the weekends, it's the opposite. You want to turn the tables faster because you want to have two or three sittings in an evening. Yeah. You don't want people milling around so much. You want to just get them in, get them out and stuff. So faster paced music would hopefully help direct that kind of um that kind of experience. I mean, one of the first things we did, I mean, I mentioned Oakman Inns, I'm sure you know, is a yeah. great burger. Um you know, we did a thing with them where they basically played um, for a weekend. They played a sort of the music they previously had before they started working with us, which was just like essentially pop music, kind of mainstream. And the challenge for them was that they have these kind of very you know popular kind of like style where you have like this gastro pub type of feel where you got the restaurant area, you have got the bar area. It's all open plan, so the music is the same throughout. And when they were playing their music, they they were like, "Look, our our bars are busy." but our restaurants are quiet. You know, what can we do to kind of adjust that balance? And we put on a much more curated in terms of like looking at things we've already talked about, like their audience, the, the brand, like what they're trying to do, the fact that it's focused on dining experience, so a lot of soul and funk, a bit classier, but, but slightly older in terms of like how it was pitched. And immediately after the, the, the kind of visual feedback that they had following that, that weekend of testing was that, oh, they, they were a bit, bit kind of panicky because the, the bar area was quieter. So, oh, no, we're losing customers off the back of this. But then when they looked at like the till receipts and they started to evaluate it more, they were like, well, hang on a minute, we're keeping restaurant diners there longer. Those are going to have a higher spend per head. There's a bit much bigger yield within that. And essentially they're making a lot more money through that and driving the kind of... Um, the, the the you know the, the restaurant experience versus the bar experience. So I think that stood us in good stead for that relationship moving forward. And it's something that we've always kind of hung our hat on with them and others that this is an important part. It's like where do you want to drive your behaviors? And also going back to your time of day thing. I mean that could be that during the you know the, 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 the dinner time, you know, whether that's like six, seven PM till nine, ten PM, let's really focus on that as being the experience that's embodied through the music. Whereas after that, you know, like it can be a much more of a bar, wet led kind of experience as well, which is different in, in itself. So it's about thinking about those kind of things in terms of behaviors and types of experiences of what customers have um as per the time of day. I do remember I, I used to work in our price uh, records when I was a kid in a if it was ever busy at like five to five or five twenty-five, I remember we were closing. We always stuck on the Ramones. That always seemed to shift people out the shop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, two, three, four. Um, so just thinking about um, mistakes. So, are there common mistakes uh, that people make on playlists? You know, when you actually go in and maybe take over from it, or when you're out and about. I'm sure you're mind is a hellish place to be when you go out because you probably can't switch <laughs> off from from here and you know so have you got you know any sort of things that really stand out as sort of common mistakes that people are making i mean the the, the pleasing thing and whether we've been in, involved with this trend or, or or not um has been there's been a massive improvement across the board in the last 15 years since we've been doing it and hats off to people that are paying more attention to it they obviously have more access there's more of a uh, you know this whole word playlist or playlisting uh, as a thing, what you know is 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 not a thing. It wasn't in the past. Um, 
as much as what it is now. And it's, it's, it's something that people kind of recognize as a discipline. So I think like to give, you know, the public or operators their due, whether they're working with a company like us or not, they're, they're getting a lot better mm-hmm. with it. I think like the common mistakes might be to, as I said before, you know, go very kind of safe and generic with it. And, you know, that's, that's something that is obviously a balance to be struck. I mean, we, our approach at Open Air is to be as creative as possible, to play this within reason. You know, we want to be able to paint a picture when it comes to like the musical identity and really help that business to sound unique, but also create these amazing experiences for the customers. So that's the balancing act with it, as well as that whole kind of thing about getting enough music in there. Now, we did this analysis between some of our players and some of our competitors and our variety, just the variety of music that we have on our system and on our on our playlist is much wider than two of our, our kind of key competitors that we, we looked at. I mean, it's almost like, you know, if you imagine it, just going back to the paint analogy, you know, they're painting this picture with primary colors, you know, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. using all the different hues in the spectrum to be able to, 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 to do like a much more rich and embodied kind of like customer experience to the music. And so that's really kind of like one way in which you describe what open ear is and how we're different to, to others and how we can be, I think in this day and age, responsive to people's demands in terms of the general public. We mentioned how people's tastes have widened and things. Um, that's, why one needs to get creative and that's really part of the fun you know you can yeah, imagine yeah. Digging, you're finding these amazing bits of music these gems that people haven't heard or these new releases that that are yet to break and stuff and we are presenting that to an audience to the business and and that's really been a hugely beneficial thing to to the businesses that that we work with so earlier on we were, we were just having a wee chat and a wee catch up and you said something brilliant which was yeah, at the weekend I was uh, out with a microphone, you know, recording bird song, and it was like, "What? You know, what are you doing, man? So, what's going on there?" Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I, as well as open ear, I do a lot of different things. I mentioned my DJing stuff. I mean, what I've, what I've been, and doing- you've got a great name for being a DJ, by the way. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I great. Is is Brian D'Souza a stage name? Are you, is this all a facade? Just a easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great name. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe you don't know this, but I, I DJ using mainly using the name Anti Flow as well. Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen your fight. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it written down somewhere, right? So so yeah, I've, I've released you know three albums and various different things I've done in music. Um, but as in as in spelt like an agony ant or in a cool I, way. An agony. I actually have an ant called. <laughs> there you go. From Goa, so it's a kind of. I'm, I'm half going, half Scottish, so, yeah. so it's a nod to my going kind of heritage. Very and, nice. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, whatever, you choose a name when you're in your teens and it just... <laughs> it sticks, yeah, yeah, tell me. Um, well, so, just just on that point, though, I mean, did your, you know, sort of links with Goa and things like that, like, help you in, in music as well, like, have wider taste than the, the average bear? Like, what was going on? I get asked that a lot in interviews, and I, I don't know the answer to that. I think, like... Um, not readily. Like I think yeah. that my parents had a, both of them combined. I mean, it, you know, there's a good taste of music, but it wasn't anything like kind of completely bonkers. And it certainly wasn't very going yeah. uh, or Indian or my mom was actually born in, in Kenya and Nairobi. So it wasn't anything in that sort of sphere. I yeah, mean, there's yeah. a couple of things for sure, but it wasn't anything like completely, you know, you know, um, you know, in what, that, what, what, were, what were they listening to? Oh, what they were just brought up on. I mean, they were listening in the house. It was it was the Beatles, you know. It was um, 
it was Paul Simon. It was Mum listens to a lot of classical music. Um, Rolling Stone, you know, just a big kind of classic, great, you yeah, know, yeah. great piece of music. But my dad's a big jazz fan as well, so he was, yeah, I guess he went a bit, you know, into the into the, the kind of long tail with that with ECM records and this kind of like Scandinavian jazz stuff that he was into and, and stuff. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, anything out of the ordinary. I would say, yeah. perhaps it did kind of expand my horizons more than some, but I don't know if that was necessarily a big driver of my um, taste, but. Yeah, it would be an obvious thing because when when I DJ, I do play music from all around the world. That's my thing. I've helped to champion a lot of stuff in in the UK and in Scotland and and elsewhere, like that maybe doesn't get the exposure and kind of Western canon and uh, of music that that you might hear in clubs, etc. But um, yeah, that's just been my thing. Um, but anyway, the the bird song has been a. I guess it's a, a it was a lockdown project where I was doing these DJ sets in my garden. Saturday mornings through the first period of lockdown, which was glorious oh, nice. sunshine. And um glorious sunshine it, in Glasgow. No, no, this was in London. <laughs> I don't know what the weather was doing in Glasgow. <laughs> London probably had a much better experience of lockdown. It was, yeah, it was maybe. Up. It was a nice summer, yeah, for sure. Really would, a great time. <laughs> I would um I, I would set up the, the, the decks in my garden and I would play ambient music and uh, I would I would you know stream it live you know using various different means, but one of them was Instagram Live, and Instagram Live was just through my phone. So actually, it would pick up the bird song from my uh, from my garden, and so lots of people were commenting on the Instagram feed. Oh, wow, this is great! Like the, it's nice, relaxing ambient music, but also with the sounds of nature in there. And yeah. Thing. So I turned it into a radio station called AmbientFlow.com. Oh yeah, cool. And uh, you've got two different channels. You've got a bird song channel, and you've got a you've got a music channel. The music is is all ambient. Is it still going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, oh, you can check it out. You listen we'll to put the links to it. Ambientflow.com. Yeah. Um, and it's been a really nice little side project. And every month I kind of unearth like all this amazing ambient music. And it's been, it's, yeah, it's, it's opened up lots of interesting doors um, for me as well, which is interesting. So one of those doors has been this project I'm doing in Amsterdam with a gallery. And part of it was to do some field recording of this uh this area called Shock Forest, which was where they used to test like bombs through wartime. And uh-huh. it's called Shock Forest. And they had all this plant um uh tree canopy that would help to kind of enclose the kind of sounds of the bombs and things uh, we're right in the weeds of this conversation <laughs> i mean listen it's not what did you do the weekend or you know i went to cinema or whatever you know it's a little bit more interesting uh, than that so yeah it's pretty cool and then also you're using your uh i was gonna say therapy but your psychology um also in health and wellness and, and stuff like that we swell too yeah so again this is related to what i was just talking about swell was um uh, that sort of sister company that i set up and that's to do with this whole field around sound and health and well-being and how we can use sound in various ways to help people i don't know heal feel better um you know have better clarity cognitive thought creative thoughts etc and it's just a hugely powerful thing it's this extension of music so I, I i trained in sound therapy so you know they kind of like singing bowl gongs yeah one of my neighbors does it downstairs and he's promised me a session so i'm, I'm hoping to do it soon actually i'm really into it I'm, I'm really open to it i think it looks great that's great he's very happy to have you as a neighbor so you're <laughs> so <continuing laughs> practice yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so i trained in that and it was just an extension of like me trying to dig as deep as what I can into the, you know, what is sound and how it affects our brain, how it affects our body. And, you know, having understood music and how music kind of works 
um, to a certain degree, this was the next level. It was, how, it was understanding the building blocks of music, the frequencies, like how does specific frequencies affect our brain in a certain way? How does it make us feel different things? How does it trigger different things in, in our brain and stuff? So that's what sound therapy was to me. And I set up Swell as, as, as a result of that. And yeah, we're working with a lot of different, uh, really interesting projects. Um, everything from like the, you know, hotel spa to like some retail projects. We've done little forest installations where you can kind of have the sounds of nature through spatial audio setups. And, and one thing that everyone seems interested in this whole field of like music for psychedelics and psychedelic therapy. So we're working with Imperial right. College, a lot of their psychedelic trials, they obviously use music there and it's just a fascinating area in terms of like what actually music is doing whilst you're tripping. <laughs> yeah, well, so I've, I've, uh, I've not been too well in the last wee while, right? I've been going through a wee thing. Anyway, as part of the therapy, I had to go to this osteopath, right? So I turn up to see the osteopath and uh, he's like a shaman kind of guy, right? And honestly, the energy when you just walk into the room just changes to this like calm, you know. Anyway, he's desperate to get me on psychedelics. Absolutely desperate. Every single visit, it's like, I can work with you with plants and, you know, and, and, and do all this. And then you can see how music as part of that package and obviously safe amounts of psychedelics and all that, it could be really interesting. And then again, impacting um, you know, things like stress and, you know, helping yourself be a little bit more open to things maybe or resetting almost like NLP types. So, you know, it's very, very interesting that area. And I, I think, you know, in the next, you know, I mean, it's big already, but I think mainstream wise in the next five years, we won't be thinking it's dodgy. You know, it's like, you know, it will be something that's, uh, that's absolutely huge. And then do you stray ever into things like, brown noise, pink noise, white noise, all these kind of things as well. Because I tell you, if I was developing an app tomorrow, I'd probably release one of those because they seem to be the most downloaded thing ever at the moment, you know? Ah. <laughs> I actually built a, a brown noise, I think it was. What, what's the really difference? Hard. What's the difference, just so everybody knows then? What's the difference between pink and brown? And They're just different frequency. All right. Uh -huh. Right? So, so white is a little bit higher frequency and brown is, is, is slightly lower frequency and they're meant to trigger different, slightly different um, responses. But I, I built a, I can't remember if it was white noise or brown noise or whatever, but a noise generator sound masking device. So uh, this was a, when I, my master's sound design uh, as a project and um, it had a microphone in it. So essentially it would pick up the noise levels, the ambient noise levels of the room, uh -huh. which obviously changes, you know, based on, people in there and other kind of noise sources, whatever. And then it would pump out kind of like the noise, the background, uh, the, the brown noise, white noise, to then mask like the, the, you know, the sounds within the room. So it would essentially like raise the ambient noise level overall up. And the, the reason for doing that, and they use this in offices, for example, uh -huh. um, is to try and give a lot more like, um, to reduce the speech intelligibility is the technical term, but like essentially give more privacy people's kind of conversations because the 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 the, the, the human the, the the person's using the space will become completely habituated to this noise so they won't be able to notice the the kind of like the constant kind of brown noise or white noise but the noise level in that space will will be raised up so any kind of um you know distracting noises like a crash a bang a conversation a phone call or whatever 
will be less distracting because the ambient so it's less noticeable. So the ambient noise level is like raised up. So this is a bit of a thing. And like, you know, we had the conversation, one of our clients, the office group, it was, I remember doing the pitch. I mean, this was over 10 years ago. There we it was us as in representing music versus another company that was kind of like going to deliver them brown noise within the office spaces. And we won that pitch. And and their whole thing was very fashionable, as you know, it continues to this day, like open plan spaces, communal spaces. Yeah. These are all great, you know, in many ways. But in terms of like giving people places in which they can work, like um, effectively, like what the office group was finding at that time was because people would become so self-conscious with the, the noise that they're creating, like it might be a phone call, it might be a work conversation. It's obviously work. It needs some level of privacy. They were then going out into the corridors or even yeah. out to the neighboring cafe so they could do a phone call or have a meeting. And that was then counter what these open plan workspaces were meant to be about. So music as a very functional kind of thing was to able to like just instill a level of ambience, noise, if you like, to um, to give a bit more privacy to people's um, you know daily kind of workflows. It's a big area. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I'll need, I'll need to check out the swell stuff. That sounds great. And going back to hospitality and music and all the rest of it, what about the growth of people with neurodivergent issues as well? Um, you know, people with autism, ADHD, you know, just sensitivity to noise. How? Because the music isn't for everyone in, in a lot of ways, although it is obviously, but how do you approach that and how do operators approach that? You know, what happens there? Because it used to be, you're out with your granny and can we turn the music down because I'm hearing aids buzzing, you know, that was as much as you got. But now, obviously, you know, it's just really getting rapid in terms of being identified in, in kids and adults, you know? It's a good question. I mean, we're trying to create spaces that are inclusive for everyone and that's really important i think the the challenge that we have in terms of what we deliver is the fact that like music is often the the one or one of the few variables you know when you're talking about the acoustics and the sound mm. in a space that they can control but it's often not the biggest source of noise like you might have a ventilator or a coffee machine is like the worst yeah. and then you might also have terrible acoustics you know mm. so it's hard surfaces a big kind of like open plan reverberant kind of space, which hasn't been considered at the kind of architectural level, at the design level and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you're often, and we are often contending with these spaces that are completely ill-equipped to create, you know, uh, an experience for customers, especially customers in the neurodivergent um, uh, category that, 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 that is conducive to them having a pleasant time. But that extends out, not just, just people with a, con a condition, but just everyone, you know, it's, tiring to be in a space that's essentially a cacophony of sound you know yeah. and so music is just one of the elements that create the kind of soundscape of the space and therefore yes it, it needs to be considered so what you know a few of our clients what they're, they're they've been saying to us is they will identify different times of the week that essentially the music is turned off uh -huh. and we can program in silence for them um, and so therefore it's just a, a baked in thing to the system. It's like about saying like, this is, this is the time if you're really sensitive to this stuff, come in, we're not going to play any sounds, any music or whatever. Um, so that's, that's been a positive thing. Um, and, um, I think the other factor in this is obviously the, the, the levels between tracks, cause you don't want the volume levels going up and down. So, yeah. you know, our system levels everything out. So it says, you know, you want to kind of retain the kind of dynamics of the music. Otherwise you're just creating kind of like 
you know, a flat line system, but, you know, our system will even those things out. So it's going to give you a consistent level of sound, which I think is, is, is a helpful in this kind of, in this kind of uh, aspect, because then you can hopefully can control and dial down some of the other sources of noise that's going to affect this, this whole thing. God, the blender. The blender has to be the worst. That's the absolute worst. I'm not badly. Um, just thinking about uh, Dr. Martins again. If it's DMA is their thing, surely the DMAs need to be on the playlist, right? <laughs> wow, you're a genius. Oh, yeah, can I get a job? <laughs> I'm like, this is actually just, this isn't going out as a podcast. This is a, just a job application um, <laughs> to, to, to come and work with you. Um, what about cost then? Like, you know, what's the sort of, entry level for for your kind of service you know how does that work yeah i mean you're, you're talking about the ballpark of between 30 40 maybe 50 pounds entry level per month sorry per That's month per point. venue yeah god that's all right isn't it that's what we thought Probably yeah, your prices what, 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 what the challenge is is you've got people used to paying a tenner for spotify mm. or paying zero you know yeah in general so that is just massively you know, kind of like reduce the value that people might place on music. So the it common does. thing that we'll contend with is like a business calls up and says, music is so important. Like, oh, it's so important. We, we really care about music. And then I'm going, okay, it's 30 pounds a month or 40 pounds a month. Oh, wow. Like that's really expensive. And I'm like, well, it's not given the fact that all, all yeah. the stuff we've been talking about today, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so important and et cetera, et cetera. But that's the world we live in. We live in a very visual Kind of world so we often use the thing is like how much do you spend on lemons for example every week or how much do you spend on that painting that's on your wall yeah you know and it's thousands of pounds or it's it's, it's, it's multiples of that and how much do you want to spend your music 40 quid a month yeah how much i, mean, I, I always talk about you know what, what how much you spend in pink spray and blue roll and then all of a sudden you're like uh, you know, um yeah so, said that Luro was uh it's probably it's probably more important than the <laughs> oh no i was thinking about the i was thinking about the blue roll rather than the Luro, you know the blue stuff that you clean up the tables with and all that um and then what about hardware you know from uh you know with my operator hat on when i sat in yo and uh pret and these kind of places you know um it seemed to be, and also just clients lately as well, it seems to be something that can get cut. So what happens is they're building a restaurant or the, the sandwich shop, whatever it is, and they great intentions. It's all boast this or it's the next, whatever the new thing is and blah, blah, blah. And then it's, oh, could we just, and then it gets reduced down, reduced, reduced down. And then I remember we, we actually kind of started to get complaints, I'm sure, in one of the places I was working. And... What had happened was the they I think they'd taken out the base. So it was like really stressful mm. on the actual diner. Um so I mean, is there any advice on hardware or acoustics or, or any of that stuff? Because I think there's a really important point here as well. And and Kenny, back to Kenny at Buzzworks, Kenny talks about this a lot, which is has the place got soul in the walls? And you know, there's there's a pub not far from me here, just just from where I'm recording this in Brighton, and the space is wrong. No matter how great that pub is, the space is wrong. It's echoey, hard, and 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 and. if they just sorted out the acoustics a little bit, I think it could be a winner and just warm the place up. So, do you get involved in that so much, or do you just kind of say, well, you've got what you've got, and we'll play the music? 
one of the first things I did when I started Open Ear was start reaching out to interior designers, to architects, and to try and have this conversation about acoustics and the design of their spaces or design the spaces they're, they're doing because it sound is being a hugely crucial thing just everything that you just said and um i didn't get much of a response to be perfectly honest oh, really? it was it was much more like look you know we're just doing the bidding of the operator sound is not really our thing you got to go and speak to them um but unfortunately when we do speak to them they paid for what they pay for and the the acoustics are usually and often not great, you know, mm. so you have to contend with a really kind of like destructive kind of audio environment. You know, we talked about that before, um, where the acoustics are, are creating this cacophony of sound that's essentially going to tire out your customer. And it's that's going to mean they're not going to enjoy their experience overall. They're not necessarily going to like stay for an extra drink. They want to get, get out there, you know, get in and out as fast as possible. And these are the kind of signifiers that, that the acoustics, you know, let alone the kind of musical identity are, are, are painting for that customer. Mm. And, um, you know, I've been in one of my other projects when I was doing my sound design masters was to do restaurant acoustics. And it was a rule. It was in Edinburgh. It was um, Howie's in Edinburgh. I think they don't exist anymore, so I'll name check them. But they had a big, like, open plan, uh, quite high reverberant, you know, high ceiling. Um, and I think I measured it. I mean, this is just from memory. But if you're sitting next to someone, like, across from you on the table, you're having to like essentially shout at them to be heard by the person right. who's literally sitting a meter or a meter and a half away from you. And I'd, you know, I'd like anyone to sort of like say w whether that's like an acceptable or enjoyable experience as you're going out for a date and you're yeah. essentially like Thank yelling you. at the person yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to be heard. So these are the kind of things that we can't contend with. Um, but we can as much as possible advise on. Um, and, and then it's about trying to see what a business can do. Um, despite the fact, you know, they've got the, the, the hard fixtures and fittings in to, 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 to make amends for that. Whose job is it? And how do you find all of the music? Where does that come from? Cause you're not just sitting in Spotify, right? Well, you get deals with the record labels and how does that all work? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all matter of different things. Um, obviously, music is 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 evolving and, and faster than ever. I don't know what the most recent statistics in terms of the, the the volume of songs that are released on a week to week basis, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of tracks, right? Wow. So, so we have to have and use the filters out there that allow us to get the best of the best, and that's really our job. We've got a music team, five or six people who are constantly like looking out or listening out for the best music we do get sent a lot of music and we built up you know relationships with all manner of different record labels you know from like some ninja tune domino xl records etc to obviously you know the majors as well um and yeah i mean it's just it's, it's a it's kind of classic and common and growing challenge of of it is like how do we maintain and uh, you know our finger having our finger on the pulse to make sure that all these new trends, all these genres that seem to be popping up, all these artists that seem to just pop out of nowhere and have massive followings, like how we can kind of stay on top of them. Um, and whether they are or are not relevant to the types of businesses that we work with, you know, it's, so it's a, it's a two-way sort of thing. So it's, it's a constant sort of challenge, but yeah, it's, it's, it's def definitely about trying to provide that filter and that quality control um, for our clients. Are you good in a pub quiz? 
If it was music, I think I might take. Please don't, please. (laughs) I'm terrible. I'm terrible. No, no, I'm, I'm. I mean, I, I don't think I am. I think when lockdown quizzes with my, uh, my wife's family, and I was terrible. It's embarrassing. (laughs) That's not good. Right. Same sort of thing is when we couldn't remember when we'd first met. You know, I can't. Oh yeah, I've got no idea. Depressing of this record. <laughs> no idea. Okay, so it's a good. I think it's a nice thing. I think it's a mark of a, a good friendship. So, a last couple of things. Then we'll just um, do some fun stuff. So we need to go and uh, pick up some stuff. So, a uh, couple of things. Then is have you got favourite bands, DJs, off the top of your head? Um, I remember. Well, a favourite band of mine. The, 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 one of the earliest bands I started to like was I'd see Massive Attack I remember yep. seeing the Barrowlands um, when I was 15, 16 we, I remember a friend of mine from school his dad sort of chaperoned us there he managed to get tickets guest list or something and he would just say whatever you do when you go into this venue do not just talk to anyone in this venue <laughs> just really protective of us as 14 or 15 year olds yeah. but a fantastic venue you know, I'm not greatest venue in the world I think isn't it yeah, absolutely. So good memories of that. Um, I mean, also sticking on the Glasgow theme, I mean, one of the most influential DJ duos uh, growing up was Optimal. There were two guys that I really looked up to, you know, playing every Sunday at the sub club. I ended up doing a residency at the sub club when they stopped doing their, their weeklies. Oh, wow. And DJ, and it was a big moment for me to sort of try and do something in the, in the uh, you know, to fall in their shoes or whatever, which sort of failed miserably, but <laughs> it's an interesting challenge. So, so they, they'd be good. And, you know, I like, I like music that's really visceral and, and really in your face. So the likes of Detroit techno and, yeah. and Jeff Mills and the likes of that, that's where I feel like if you're going to listen to DJ, you need to have maximum impact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then what are you listening to right now? Is there anything on your playlist and on repeat at the moment? Um, well, I mentioned the, the the ambient radio station that I run, so that fills up a lot of my listing space, ambientflow.com, um, but a lot of no-name artists, so I won't even bother trying to yeah, 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 yeah. name check. Um, I mean, going back to the more of this pop sphere, I mean, one of my favourite bands of more recent times, Young Fathers, I'm sure you... Young Fathers, uh, man, yeah, new, brilliant. New record is great. I mean, they're just such a, such a great band, I think, in this world where you've got a lot of kind of like sanitized uh you know fairly generic they stand apart as just being like kind of a unique voice um always have something to say always interesting acoustically never following a trend um and just yeah good bunch you know met them before and like a yeah, good bunch of guys and and also from from scotland so happy yeah. to champion champion them but yeah plenty plenty of stuff i mean i've, I've you know worked with browns records in the past so everything that they put out I was listening to this thing called B- B- Bikini Dyer is a, a new jazz guy from South Africa, like really great. Another guy I've worked with, Sarathi Korber, his album on Leaf last year. I don't mm-hmm. know if you checked it. Mm-hmm. Fantastic record, like really great. Um, Kalak is called. So I would check those things. I'll maybe see if I can get some links from you then so I can put it in the podcast episode if you, yes. if you've got some time. Um, and then the last one in that is just, um, yeah, and uh, I'm thinking about me doing this playlist for the 50th on Friday. Any guaranteed dance floor fillers? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, anything the soul funk sort of spectrum, but I would, I would always go in with like a bit of Fela Kuti. I think that gets people in the dance yeah. floor. Um, I've got this great kind of Afrobeat uh, edit with soul to soul back to back to life yeah. as, as the vocal, and it just seems so apt coming out of kind of like the DJ gigs I've done after COVID, back yeah. to like, back to reality. It's like 
these are the kind of things that, 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 that I get a kick out of. And um, I don't know, a 90s class, like pump up the volume or something is always good. Yeah, so yeah. Sure these kind of things fit in with your... Um, yeah, your it work. does exactly. Um, and uh, Groove is in the Heart, I guess. Uh, yeah. Always yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the vinyl sitting behind me. Oh, uh, yeah. So nice. All right. So a couple last things then. Um, we bit of fun. So what's next for you before we go into the Mark Out of 10 question? What's, what is next for you? Um. I've I've made a new album, so hopefully get that out at some point okay. this year. Anti Flow, um, don't have a name for it yet, but that's that's hopefully coming. Um, yeah, just continuing the journey with Open Ear, obviously growing the swell kind of side of things. That's been a really interesting area for us and for me in particular. So, lots of great and exciting things um, on the pipeline. Great, obviously fifteen years more at least. So uh, that's really exciting. So a couple of last things, and you're, you know, well-schooled, well-traveled, and well-eaten, and all the rest of it. So some mark out of 10 questions. Favourite city to eat in? This was a tough one. Um, I mean, I think Mexico City is amazing. Barcelona, south of France as well, like these food cultures. But I'm going to pick, because it's slightly unknown, is Perugia. Uh-huh. In Italy. So uh-huh. I used to DJ there fairly regularly for some reason, just made this connection with these guys and they were running clubs. And every time I go there, they would take me out for just the classic Italian local dinner. And it is just next level, like the food culture that these guys have, that the city has, that, 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 that they have there. It's just amazing. The wine and the wine culture as well. It's just fantastic. Yeah. So check that out. It's a beautiful, beautiful. Where is it? Perugia in Italy. Where around? Where about Umbria. Okay. Yep, yep. They have the Umbrian jazz festivals there, which I've never been to, but definitely worth uh, a visit. Nice. Favorite hotel? Um, so I was going to say, uh, I mean, I, I love the Mitchell Burger in Berlin. Uh, really cool, hip, kind of trendy hotel. Stay there a lot. Um, but I'm actually going to say the Blyswood Square. Oh, yeah. Nice. Because they were one of our first clients at Open Air, and they still are. And, and also, I stayed there uh, on my wedding night. Ah. which is fantastic but it's great and you know we do a lot of work with them and, and especially now in the spa um, with all the stuff we're doing as well um, so fantastic hotel great you know great place and great place to just hang out even if you're not a hotel guest yeah no it's it's definitely a, a you know a, a favourite of a lot of my mates up the road for sure um, favourite coffee shop I'd say in London, I mean, it's near our, our office down in Old Street, Ozone Coffee. Yes. Great. Really good, but they do a New Zealand company. The food offering there is tremendous, like yeah, really yeah. great. And I've eaten there like three times in the last like three weeks. So <laughs> I think I'm going to shout out for that. A client of ours as well, so that's always good. Nice. Favourite bar stroke pub? I'd say Brilliant Corners. Is that? There. No? It's in, uh, it's in Dalston in London. Uh-huh. It's, it's one of these... I guess it's bracketed as a listening bar. So they've got an amazing sound system in there. The food is a kind of Japanese um, menu, which is really, really nice. And um, uh, the drinks, drinks are great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little small space, but the music is, is, is paramount and really great hi-fi, high fidelity um, setup they've got there and great vinyl only DJs and things. Nice. Need to check that. And then favorite restaurant? Man, this was tough. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to go Mother India. Oh, <laughs> nice. <Sticking laughs> what, what would your order be? Uh, well, the buttered chicken. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, unctuous. I mean, one of the things you get or you don't get in London is, is pakora. 
And I know yes. sorts of varieties of different pakora, you know, vegetable, but also fish and meat and everything. So I'd, I'd go around in pakora and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan. Like the local thing is a big thing for me. So I mean, I'm in green lanes, loads of Turkish, amazing, like great value. Mm. Um, nice little French restaurant called Bistro Ikes. I want to shout out them in, in Crouch End just near us because it's, 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 it's brilliant. So yeah, I'd really kind of like going local, um, as well as some things from my, uh, my childhood, my teenage years back in Glasgow. It's memories, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, it's been so nice to chat to you and catch up. It's just been really lovely, so thank you. So it was more us two having a chat and recording it more than a podcast, to be honest. <laughs> so I hope it's interesting for people. And um, yeah, I just, I really wish you well. And uh, we'll need to catch up once I'm, I'm back up in London a wee bit more, so we'll catch up. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, mate. So there we go, Brian D'Souza, who's the CEO of Open Ear Music and Swell. So definitely check out Open Ear Music. If you're having challenges with your music, if you'd like to freshen it up, if you'd like some advice on how you can really take your venue to the next level, definitely get in touch with Brian. He's a real trusted hospitality titan so I'm really excited for the future for Open Ear and all the staff there but also for Swell and what he's going to do in the health and wellness space. So I really hope this episode was music to your ears, get it? This show isn't just thrown together you know. So anyway enough puns, I hope that you really enjoyed it, I hope there's lots of tips there and also for his clients like Buzzworks and Oakman and Blyswood Square, uh, Blyswood Hotel, I hope that they're obviously feeling buoyed by having such an expert behind creating the atmosphere in their venues and getting that buzz going. So yeah, great guy to have on board, really great company. So I'd really, really, really stress the importance of at least having a chat with them, get them to audit what's going on. And I'm sure he can take your venue and the atmosphere and the guest experience to that next level. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity and serve guests better. Just visit vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic and get in touch with the team right away. That's vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. Thanks also to our silver partners, HDI, Saved by Robots and Airship and Toggle for their support as this podcast would not be possible without all of our partners. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for another podcast and I'm really looking forward to the next time we're together. Next time we'll hear from many, many more interesting people with top tips, tricks and tales that will make your brand boom. <laughs>